The title of this morning's message is Running from the Wild Grace of God. Running from the Wild Grace of God. Have you ever come to a moment in your life, place in your life, where you knew what God wanted you to do? There was no question in your mind. He had spoken to you, perhaps through his word, and it was clear, perhaps through circumstances or through some other means, but he has spoken to you, and you know at that moment what he wants you to do. And you have thought to yourself, or perhaps even said out loud, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do, but please, God, not that. Not that. And at that moment, when you refused to do what you knew God wanted you to do, you became a runner. You became someone who was running away from God. And at the very same time, you need to understand, and this will be really clear in Jonah, that you also were being chased. And maybe that's happening to you today. You're running from God. You know what he wants for you. You know what he wants you to do. But you also know he's chasing you. In this study, we're going to look at the story of Jonah. as a picture of someone who encountered the wild grace of God and and God would not stop chasing him. And we're just going to look at the first three verses today. Jonah chapter 1 and the first three verses. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And Jonah means dove. And uh, Amittai means truth. So he was Jonah, dove, son of truth, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You know, when these accounts occur in other parts of the Bible, this was a standard form. God would say, the word of the Lord came to so-and-so, and so-and-so would hear it, and he would arise and go do what God said. This was a surprise. This was a shock. This was not something that happened. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Why did God choose a man who didn't want to love the people of Nineveh? Of all the people he could have chosen... He could have chosen somebody who had a heart that was different, but he chose Jonah. And I believe he chose Jonah precisely because his heart was not right. And through the process of ultimately doing what God had called him to do, what was God doing? He was trying to change Jonah. This is not a prophecy or or a, a recording of all the messages that Jonah preached. In fact, the only message he preached recorded here I think is five words long. This is a story about a man that God was chasing, that God was pursuing because his heart was not right and God wanted to change his heart. Well, when Jonah got the message of what God wanted him to do, he did what any self-respecting, disobedient prophet would do. He grabbed his Walt Disney World bag and he heads in the opposite direction. And in this bag, he's carrying with him all of the reasons why he wasn't going to 
do what God wanted him to do. He was running from God as hard as he could. And I want to look at two questions today that have to deal with this topic. Uh, the first question is, why do we run from God? What are some of the reasons why we run from God? Here's the first one. We are fighting for control. We are fighting for control. When I look in this backpack, I've got a remote. Some of you all know that this represents more than just control of the TV. This is a symbol power and influence, right? And so, um, and so he was struggling with control. Who was going to be in charge in his life? Who was going to call the shots in his life? Who was going to make his decisions? No one was going to tell Jonah what to do at this moment. I don't think his parents, I don't think his friends, I don't think anyone close to him could have made a difference. Nothing they said is recorded because I'm not sure he even gave them a chance. I'm not going to be told what to do by anyone. And we all have internal boundaries, don't we? We, uh, we may not be conscious of them until God tells us to do something like this. But we have boundaries. I'll live in a place like this, but I'm not going to live in a place like that. I'll go here, but I won't go there. I'll do this, but I won't do that. I'll serve, but I won't serve that way. I'll serve the way that I'm comfortable serving. And the key issue at that moment is control. Who is going to be in charge? And Jonah needs to grow, doesn't he? You know, when a person becomes a Christian, like these new little ones that we saw baptized this morning, they're putting their trust in Christ. And because they've trusted Christ, their sins, all their sins, have been forgiven for eternity, right? Right. But is that where God stops? Is salvation just a ticket to heaven? No. Salvation is God coming into your life and us learning to walk with God. He wants to be with us. And we are learning to grow and to walk with Him. A Christian is not someone who's just helped by God. A Christian is someone ultimately who is ruled by God. And there was a control issue in his life. He had another issue. He was addicted to comfort. I got this pillow here. And man, I was tired when I got up this morning. I got to use that pillow. Well, he was addicted to comfort. And, and we all have things that we think we can't live without. Things we can't do without. In Jonah's case, he had a comfortable living where he was. He was respected. And we'll see why in just a moment. He was well-respected. He, he, he probably received praise and honor where he was. But he knew it wouldn't be that case in Nineveh. And so he was addicted to comfort. And this is the number one reason why some of us will not do what God is telling us to do. Because we can't let go of what's comfortable. There's a third reason why we run. We're weak in compassion. And I brought a, a big heart. And he had his heart with him, but he wasn't going to give his heart to the Ninevites. He wanted to keep his heart for himself. And he was going to choose who he was going to have compassion on. You notice in the text, it, it says that God said that Nineveh was a great city. And uh, it was 550 miles away, just north of modern-day uh, Mosul in Iraq. And the walls were 100 feet tall. It's like a 10-story building. It was 60 miles in circumference. 
It had 1,500 towers that were 200 feet tall each, twice as high as the walls. The, the width of the wall was wide enough, scholars say, for three chariots. That may have been exaggeration, but that's what they wrote in ancient times. Three chariots wide. But more significantly, it was a city with approximately two million people in it. Two million people. Now, why didn't it matter to Jonah? Because there's a difference between being religious and being someone whose heart is tender towards the Lord, someone whose heart is changing and being influenced by God. And so we are weak in compassion. It's one of the reasons we run. I don't care about those people. I don't care about their situation. I don't care about their need. And we wouldn't say it that way, but it is one of the reasons we run. You see, religion is all around you and me. You can't drive very far and win and not find a church. And we have a lot, a lot of religious uh, buildings and symbols and people all around us. You can drive all over Arkansas and see a lot of religious markers or religious indication. And we're religious. I mean, in the sense that we're faithful to our church and to our activities. Uh, we're religious. And, um, and, and we are active in doing the things that religious people do. But here's the thing that Jonah didn't understand because he was a religious guy. Is that you can be very religious. You can be very careful to do all the things that you think you're supposed to do to be a religious person. And so you can have this religious posture, you can live among a religious people, but never have your heart changed by God. The Bible says, Jesus said, you must be born again. You can fake conversion. You can go through a process of joining a church and do everything that's necessary to join that church. But does God dwell in you? In Romans 8, he says that if you don't have Christ, if he's not in you, you're not his. And so the question becomes, have I been born again? Has my heart that was cut off from God because of sin, has my heart been made new? Is he changing me? Are my desires changing? Do I, First John makes this a really big marker of a changed heart. Do I love Christians? Do I love brothers and sisters? Most of us can remember when we first came to know Christ, when God changed our heart. When he changed our heart, one of the first things that changed was our attitude towards Christians. We wanted to be around them. If we met one, that was cool. We didn't know any difference between one church or another. It was just neat to meet another Christian. And we loved them. Because of what God was doing in your heart, you loved people who didn't know Christ. You wanted them to know Christ. No one said you need to go witness to your family. No one said you need to go witness to people next door. No one said you had to go do that. You naturally wanted to share the love of God with other people. And then over time, you got religious. But up to that point, he was changing your heart. 
And that process is a lifelong process, and it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. God loves people. And what Jonah needed to understand is that God loved the Ninevites, and he loves the little ones in the preschool. He loves the children up in the children's wing. He loves the people across the street that have never been here before. He loves our Kansans. He loves Hindus across the ocean. He loves Muslims. He loves people in the Northwest. He loves people in Wyoming, Wyomans, whatever we call people from Wyoming. He loves them. And when we begin to understand that he wants us to love them too, it can cause us to run. There's a fourth reason why we run, is we're afraid of change. And I brought something to represent change here. I brought a bag of cassette tapes. Only because I didn't have any 8-track tapes. And I know some of you have some 8-track tapes. And, um, man, this was so cool when cassette tapes came out. I remember when I got my first cassette recorder. It was so significant in American culture. They made a whole Brady Bunch episode about a tape recorder. I don't know if you remember that. But anyway, you put it under people's beds. You secretly record them talking, all that kind of stuff. Um, and cassette tapes. I remember when, when I proposed to Gail that um, I took her to a restaurant, and she just she didn't know this was a special night. Her parents did, because I talked to them ahead of time and asked their permission to, uh, to marry her. And, uh, and so I had the ring, and, and in the car under her seat, I had bought a couple of cassette tapes to a music group that we liked, okay? And so when I got to the restaurant and I gave her the package with the tapes, I said, these are ours, hint, hint. These are ours. I didn't say hint, hint, but I said, these are ours, okay? And, and it was a little different than saying, these are yours, I said, these are ours. And then I gave her the ring and, and so forth. Cassette tapes. I gave her cassette tapes when I asked her to marry me. I'm, I'm sorry, but that wouldn't work now. You know, an iTunes gift card maybe. You know, she put it on an iPod or something, an MP3 player. And, and, and things have changed. Well, Noah, I mean not Noah, Jonah was needing to change. And we're afraid of change. He says in verse 2, God's telling him, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. You know, there was a prophet about 100, 150 years later that, that talked about people in Nineveh. And Nineveh at this point was going down. And his name was Nahum. And he talked about the things that Nineveh was doing wrong at that point, 100 years later. They were conspiring against God. They were praying on the weak. Uh, they were practicing witchcraft. They were particularly known for being cruel in war. And it's, all, it's almost unspeakable that they would, they would make pictures of their cruelty and they would put it on the walls of their palace. Uh, they would, if it could be cut off of a human being, they would cut it off. Um, they impaled people alive. They skinned them alive. They, they did all kinds of horrible things to people. And Nahum, 100, 150 years later, is saying, you're going down for that. And then God, earlier though, is calling Jonah to go to Nineveh, to drop everything, and I want you to go to this, in our terms, it would be any capital in the Muslim world and tell them that they are wrong 
the people who, who are suspicious of all Christians tell them that they are wrong and that God is angry with them. That's what God told Jonah to do. Y'all need to repent, he said. And I would think, like Jonah, and maybe you would think the same thing, that is absolutely crazy. That's irrational. It's also just like the Lord. Noah, it's never rained, but I want you to build a boat. Abraham, that son you waited so long for, that you prayed for, I want you to go take him now. I want you to kill him. Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt where you're a wanted man for murder. And I want you to stand before the most powerful man on the planet. I want you to tell him to let all his slaves go. Mary, I know you've never been with a man and you're engaged to a man, but I want you to have a baby. Ananias, I know that Saul is killing Christians, but I want you to go and pray with him. It's just like the Lord to tell us to do something that's absolutely wild. And grace is wild. And Jonah got that. You know, God had used Jonah before this happened. God had spoken through Jonah. There had been another prophecy. You may not, may not realize it. It's found in 2 Kings 14. You can just jot it down in the margin. You don't have to go look it up. But um, those of you that Old Testament scholars among us, Sunday school teachers, you know that, that there used to be a united kingdom under David, under Saul, under David, under Solomon. And when Solomon died, that kingdom divided. There was a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was called Judah. And they more or less stayed closer to God than the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom was pretty hard, pretty bad. They, uh, they worshipped idols. They weren't near Jerusalem. They abandoned the faith and you had these kings. Some were better than others, but they were pretty bad. And about 130 years or so after the kingdom has divided, there uh, was this prophecy because at that point Israel was being oppressed by, by Syria. There was a man named Ben-Hadad and others. They were oppressing the people of Israel. They were afflicted, the Bible says. They were unhappy. They were suffering. And these people were oppressing them. And God felt badly for them. Not because they were doing anything right. In fact, when he sent Jonah into that mix, he was from that northern kingdom. He made a prophecy. And he said, Jeroboam, this new king, Jeroboam II, he is going to expand our borders. He's going to whoop up on the Syrians. And he's going to expand the borders to where they were supposed to be in the first place. And that's what his prophecy was. And that's what happened. But did he do it? Because Jeroboam was special, the man ruled for 41 years. He was the mightiest king that, that the kingdom of Israel ever had in the north. But he also led people into idolatry. And he built temples for idols. And he was not a good man in the biblical sense. Listen to what uh, God thought of Jeroboam. 2 Kings 14, 24, it says, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now in verse 2 of Jonah, chapter 1, it says, And cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. The word wickedness describing Nineveh is the same word for evil describing Jeroboam. Same words. And so God comes to the northern kingdom. They're hurting. They're desperate. 
They're not necessarily seeking God or crying out to God. They're just hurting people, and he has compassion on them. And here comes the wild grace of God, and he sends Jonah to say, look, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to expand your borders. This king, he's going to do great things for you. And Jonah was cool with that. He was. Hey, be like a prophet coming and say, northeast Arkansas is going to do good. It's going to prosper. All these great things are going to take place. It's no longer going to be oppressed. And the prophet says, hey, I can go tell that in Jonesboro. I can do that. And then God says, what I had you do once before for Israel, now I want you to go do it in Nineveh. And he says, wait a minute. This is different. Do you know what they have done? Do you know who those people are? Do you know how bad they are? You know, and God said, Jeroboam, he was evil. Nineveh's wicked. The bottom line is that Jonah had to change his mind about who God cared about. And he was afraid of change. He was afraid of it. He didn't want to do it. But he was discovering the wild grace of God. And as he ran, that grace began to chase him. Well, that first question is, why do we run from God? And we got a whole illustration of what happens when a prophet or anybody else, you or me, is running from God. We've got reasons why we're running from God. And it's our, it's our bag or our baggage. Now I want you to see how we run from God. How does that happen? What are the ways that you and I actually run from God? I may come and sit in the pew next week and the week after and the week after, and I may be running from God, and you won't know it. Because there's ways we run from God that don't show up necessarily in our church attendance. There's other ways that do. For example, number one, we resign from a relationship with God. That's what Jonah did. It says, but Jonah arose to flee. God said, arise and go. Jonah arose and fled. He quit. He stopped doing what he was doing. I mean, it's kind of hard to be a prophet who speaks for God when God isn't telling you anything to say anymore where you are. I mean, people are coming to you. People are asking you to pray with them. People are asking you to do things because you're a prophet. And he can't very well stay there and be a prophet if he's not going to say what God wants him to say. He quit. He just left. He ran. For you, it might mean that you just sort of turn him off. It may manifest even in church attendance in different ways. You might just quit doing things that you normally do. So I'm, I heard what you said, God, but I'm not going there, and so I'm just going to stop what I'm doing. It may mean changing churches. I don't like what's happening with that church, God. I don't like what you're doing there, so I'm going to go to another place. It may mean quitting attendance. It can manifest in a lot of ways. There's a second way we do it. Not only do we resign from a relationship with God, we adopt a lifestyle that's opposed to a relationship with God. It says he went down to Joppa. If I uh, was allowed to write in my Bible, I would circle the word down because it happens a couple more times in the text. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it. You see the overall direction of his life, isn't it? It's down. And it says he went down twice, and then we'll see next week, he went down even more. 
He went down to the depths of the ocean. And he paid for this experience. The Bible says he paid the fare when he did it. You just need to know that the grace of God is wild, but it's also free. You don't have to do anything to earn or merit God's grace. You just receive it. But sin's going to make you pay, and he had to pay. He's moving in the opposite direction. He's rejecting everything that he has been or that he has done. And you and I do that when we run. We, we are moving the opposite direction, and we're adopting a lifestyle. And I never would have done some of the things that I start doing. I never would have believed the things that I now believe. Why? Because I don't want to do what God told me to do. So I'm going to go the opposite direction. And now I'm doing and saying and being things that I never dreamed I could ever do. And maybe that's happening in your life. You're running from God. And because of that, you're embracing a way of life that you know doesn't please Him. But because you can't handle being with Him, you can't play church so you're just doing what you want to do you start doing what you used to believe was wrong number three how do we run from God we find substitutes for a relationship with God substitutes it says he went down in the ship to go with them to Tarshish he's looking for companions he's not going by himself and when you're running from God you do that not only do you quit and say I'm done with you Lord and that manifests in some way but then you start doing things that you have never done before. You may even start believing things you've never believed to justify your behavior, justify what you're doing. And then you find other people who are going to reinforce that life. And some of you are doing that. Some of you know a dear one who's doing that. And then number four, how do we run from God? We avoid the people and places that confront us with a relationship with God. I mean, if Jonah had run into his family, if Jonah had run into his friends, if Jonah had run into anybody he knew at that moment, he would have looked away from them. If he saw them in the market, he would have turned around and walked the other way. He wouldn't have held their, their eyes. He wouldn't have looked them in the eye. And notice what it says in the text. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish, and then look what it says, from the presence of the Lord. And then it says it later again in the same text, to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord of the Lord. Where was Tarshish? No one really knows for sure. Some people theorize that it was in Spain. All, all that we know for certain is that in Jonah's mind, Tarshish was as far away from what God wanted for his life as it could be. Tarshish. And why did he want to go to Tarshish, wherever it was? Because he didn't want to be in the presence of God. He didn't want to deal with God as he is. And so he was running from that. And you say, well, that's kind of foolish. You can't run from God. No, you can't. And Jonah knew that. Later on next week, we'll see in verse 9, he says to the sailors, he says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He knows there's no place he can go where God is not. There's no atom. There's no space. There's no point in the entire universe where you can go where God is not. So why does it say this prophet who knew better was running from the presence of the Lord? Well, the key is in the word presence. And I really wish the translators throughout the Old Testament would deal with this word in terms of what it means because it means literally he fled before the face of God. And in the Old Testament, if you were before the face of God or face to face with God, you were, you were in his presence. It was not 
spatial. It was not you here and God there. It was a relationship. It was relational. He didn't want a relationship with God. And so he wasn't moving from where God lived. It's not that God lived in Israel or God lived in Nineveh. He was trying to get away from the face of God, from the presence of God, from the relationship with God. And when you and I are running from the relationship with God, I don't want to be around people who have a relationship with him. I don't want to see you. (laughs) I don't want to be around you. And I'm going to go as far as I can to, to make sure that doesn't happen. And so we avoid the people. We avoid the places. And that individual is going to avoid you. They're not going to look at you. They're not going to talk to you. But listen, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's about their relationship to the Lord. They're running. So what's the bottom line? Well, if I'm the prophet, or you and me, and I'm running from God, I've got all these reasons to run from what God wants for me or what he wants for my life. You know what I got to do? I got to lose my baggage. I've got to get rid of it. I've got to begin to deal with God on his terms. I can't get God to be what I want him to be. So the bottom line is this. The running stops when you come to God as he is. The running stops when you come to God as he is. And that's what Jonah is ultimately going to have to do for the running to stop. You see, Jonah is blatantly, blatantly sinning, rejecting, and running from God. He's open about it. And um, he doesn't want anything to do with Nineveh. He doesn't mind working with the nice people in Israel. But he doesn't want anything to do with those bad people. That's one of the problems we have in churches in Arkansas, is we don't mind talking to nice sinners. But it's hard for us to deal with bad sinners. I'm just telling you right now, all the nice sinners have been got. All that's left are bad sinners. And God has called us to reach him. And Jonah, he didn't want anything to do with that. He was running, running from God. He was blatant about his sin. But you know what? God was equally blatant about grace. God was ready and chasing Jonah and was ready to pour out his grace on him. Just the same kind of wild grace he poured out on Israel, the same kind of wild grace he wanted to pour out on Nineveh, he wanted to pour out on Jonah, and he wants to pour it out on you. If you're running this morning from God, he has grace for you. The very nature of grace, and it's the very heart of the gospel that we preach, the very nature of grace is that you and I don't deserve it. It's not something that I earn. It's not something I merit because I'm good enough. I'm a good boy. I'm a good girl. So God loves me and God does things for me. That's not grace. Grace comes to people in Israel who don't deserve it. God pours it out and does something for them. And sometimes it's only the goodness of God that gets some people's attention. It's the thing that he wants to do in Nineveh, and we'll see. It's one of the great revivals in the Old Testament, one of the great revivals in history, is when God pours his grace out on a city of people who were absolutely 
the most evil, the most wicked people who had ever lived on the planet to that generation. Did they do anything to deserve God's grace? No. And Jonah? Man, he's running. And as we'll see next week, he gets caught. And um, because God is chasing him. And I want you to know that God is pursuing you. He's not giving up on you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you think of yourself even. What you need to know is that God has been pursuing you. God loves you. God sent his son Jesus to die for you on the cross for your sins. Everything you think keeps you from God, Jesus died to take it out of the way. The Bible says that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Nineveh is going to be destroyed in 40 days from the time that Jonah began preaching. The clock started, 40 days. And, um, and on all of us, all of our lives, there's a clock that's ticking. But the message, the gospel, is being shared in our generation, in our time. It's a message that you can be forgiven. You can be rescued. You can be saved. You can escape the judgment that's coming. You can be forgiven. The wild, wild grace of God. Are you ready to trust him? In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing, and there'll be pastors standing at each aisle. We are here to encourage you. We are here to pray with you. We have Bibles. We will share Scripture with you. You can read for yourself how a person goes from their state where they are without God and not forgiven to a place where they are forgiven and God is living in their life. And we'll share that Scripture with you. You can read it for yourself. If you came with someone, they will only be excited that you are doing this and that God is working in your life. And so when we stand and sing, I'm going to ask you to publicly and without hesitation to come and take one of these pastors by the hand and tell them, I want to know God. I want to be saved. I want to know the forgiveness for my sins. And I want that new heart that the preacher talked about. And then brother or sister, are you running? You know, Jonah was a religious guy on the run. Are you running? Are you running? Are you hiding? Are there people sitting here that you won't look them in the eye? You can barely talk to them. You can't stand to be in the same room with them. And you think in your mind it's about that person. It's not about them. It's about your relationship to the Lord. Are you running? May God have mercy. May God have mercy. Pray with me. Father, thank you, Lord, for putting in your word the story of a man named Jonah. And we see so much of ourselves in him. A sinner on the run who needs grace. Grace he didn't deserve, a grace we don't deserve. This morning, our desire is that dear ones here who need to know forgiveness and grace would find it. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We ask you to stir and move in our hearts. We ask it in Christ's name.